So, Jared, you can hold off on that slide for one second. Um, we're coming out of a teaching series um, called Bless. And what I find that as you are present with people in the community, as you build relationships and you swap stories and you serve each other and get to know each other, naturally things come up about life, viewpoints, um, where maybe your morals or your perspective on things derive, how that shapes what you do, and maybe even why you do it. And what happens is then sometimes as you converse with people, both who may be followers of Jesus, but also those maybe who are not followers of Jesus or have some loose maybe church background or have some influence, what happens is typically questions arise about faith. Maybe things they've heard, the nature of why you do what you do and, and how those come up. And so the outcome of when we build relationships with people and swap stories and build, have those conversations is naturally questions. And so as we jump into this teaching series, where we're going to look at four common issues, which many claim are a barrier for them to become a Christian. Because what I find is in these conversations, whether at a coffee shop, at a pub, uh, at the park, uh, at the workplace, when you swap these stories, sometimes things get said and go, hey, I, I got a question, and yeah, I can search on YouTube, I can search ChatGPT, I can search it on Google, I can ask someone, but like, what's your thoughts on fill in the blank? And there are all kinds of differing perspectives on the Bible, on evil and suffering, on hell, and Christian hypocrisy. So over these next four weeks, we're going to look at some of these viewpoints and how they come and, and, and answer a series of questions around these topics. Whether sincere or skeptical, snide or curious, we want to treat these questions really at their face value. With questions that we want to give a good faith answer to because I think that as we do this, it will both prepare us to live well and be the presence of Jesus in our community. And so, skeptical, sincere, snide, or curious, one of the barriers for many people becoming a Christian is this book right here. Is the idea of the Bible, what it is, how it's composed, where it comes from, is it man-made, is it God-given, is it like scribbles in the sky then came down and came on paper? And there's all kinds of questions that revolve around the Christian Bible. So three reasons, as I've already kind of narrated, for this series. First reason why I think this series really for us is important. And to provide answers, Jared, you can go to that first slide. That within our church community, as I have been the pastor here and have worked with many of you, is there, these are sincere questions that come from our own church community. Meaning that the people who sit around side of you here or maybe even watching online have questions about this thing. Have questions about the topics that we are addressing. So, don't assume that everybody comes from the same starting place. The next place, or the, the next reason for this series, 
is that just care for friends and family members. And it feels like in conversations with those whom we love, we don't have confident responses. So I've been asked to, to say, hey, Kyle, can you help us have these conversations? Which I'm gladly willing to do. And the third reason is really to equip generations to build critical thinking and active listening to strengthen faith. Because you can Google any of these questions that we're going to go through over the next four weeks and get wildly different answers. And how do you know as you get those responses, whether you're scrolling on TikTok, when you're searching on YouTube, what is right? What is wrong? Is that even the right question to ask? How do we engage in this in a, in a thoughtful and critical thinking manner? So I want you to have some basic tools to navigate these conversations. So our first question, I'll ask it this way. Does the Christian Bible have errors? And I think when we ask this question, some of you, you just did it. You're like, I got an answer, boom, go. Some of you said no. Some of you said yes. Some of you were like, what, is it? what do you mean by heirs? There we go. Now, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting somewhere. Uh, I think beneath this question, however this question is posed, are there mistakes? Are there contradictions in this Bible, in this book? Comes the question that I think where our hearts come from, which is, can I trust the Bible? Because I think as we seek to define errors and as we look at this, what we want to know is if I read this, will I be hurt or will I be healed? If I read this and engage with that in a sincere way, is what I find here trustworthy? Is it actually true or is it just some version or perspective from someone else? And so I think these are, these are good questions, and, and I'm going to answer that. Does the Christian Bible have heirs this morning? But as we think about heirs, I think we got to start to unpack, when we're talking about heirs, when, at what point of the process is the concern by which we think there might be heirs or mistakes or contradictions? So let's go through the process real uh, quick. So what are we talking about when we refer to heirs? Or we say, or there's a general claim, the Bible has heirs. If someone says that, makes that claim, we need to be asking, well, at what point in the process are you saying there has been heirs or there's a problem? Are we talking about the inspiration? God basically revealing himself to the authors of this Bible. I mean, this, this was composed over thousands of years with different authors from different backgrounds, three main languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. So we've even got different languages in the main manuscripts. More on that here in a moment. Or are we talking about the composition of those original manuscripts? When, when, when God, through his spirit, gives people insight, to, to inspires them to write stuff down, are we saying there's errors in that? Or, or in the copying of the manuscripts? Or in the selection of of the manuscripts, of putting stuff together for our Bibles, or even the translation of the manuscripts, or the interpretation of our translations. So when we take that at face value, it actually starts to bring a subset of questions that we need to start engaging and think, thinking about. So 
heirs, at which point along the process. So when people make this claim, what type of heir are they claiming? Typically, when people claim that there are heirs in the Bible, what they are actually, Jared, go back one real quick. Um, what they're quickly doing is, is what they're looking at is they're saying, hey, in some place between the copying, the selection, and maybe even the translation of manuscripts, when they are talking about heirs, typically it's in one of those three categories. And now what happens then is then you take all of these concerns, and I think you can group them into three main areas. Jared, we can go ahead and go to the next one. When people claim heirs, it falls into these three categories. Grammatical heirs or copywriting heirs, changes in the Bible over time, or contradictory stories. So this is when, when you hear that statement, hey, there's a mistake in the Bible, it's, it's fallible, it's not put together well, there's an issue here. Typically, it's in these three categories by which people are claiming these issues are actually heirs. And so what I want to do is take some of these one by one and, and say, hey, when someone claims that this is an heir, one, is it actually an heir? Or is it an heir in our Western mindset? Is it, how have people over time viewed these issues? And so let, looking at the first one, grammatical heirs or copywriting issues. So one of the most influential and troublesome questions comes actually late in our modern history. It comes actually in the late 1800s, the 19th century, with the rise of what's called historical and critical methods of biblical interpretation. So grammatical or copywriting errors, as they're known, is actually late in the history of our Bible. That's an interesting phenomenon. If you think for hundreds of years, thousands of years, what we had in terms of the Old Testament and then eventually become the new, as given to us, very few issues were actually seen. But then in the 19th century, there's this school of thought like historical and critical methods of biblical interpretation. So what is happening is New Testament scholars, I'll stick to the New Testament for a short time, such as Bart Ehrman, assert that what we have from Matthew to Revelation is specifically in his book, Misquoting Jesus, the story of who changed the Bible and why. He says, hey, in the New Testament specifically, there's 400,000 heirs in the Bible. That seems like a lot. And what, and what he's referring to predominantly is these grammatical or copywriting errors in terms of the earliest manuscripts to, to what, what comes later. And Ehrman claims that the New Testament copies all differ from one another in many thousands of places. That's a pretty big claim. And I think in some of our modern like, mindset, we're like, Kyle, that, that's an issue. But what are his er what errors is he referring to? When we do this, we find many of the mistakes that he cites and people like him cite are really nothing new. They're not errors, but passages that are misread or misrepresented. They're punctuation. 
Their, their phrases like if we looked at the word Jesus died for us and the U and the S and the us were backwards. Or the I and the E and died. Were, were, it's because these copies of these manuscripts were handwritten over time. So they're misread and represented. So when Airman claims that there are more than 400,000 errors, he's not actually even talking about 400 separate mistakes as he makes it sound. Rather, he is seeking about a small variation between different manuscripts. In other words, there is an occasionally a word here or there spelled differently in the original Greek or Hebrew when you compare one manuscript with another. So Airman's number, however, is not based on 400,000 different instances in the Bible, but on the number of copies that have been made of whatever text he is arguing is in dispute. So for example, John read us a passage today. Let's look at, say, Luke 24, verse 35, for instance. If it had been printed on 30 different manuscripts, and there was a small just punctuation error or grammatical error, Airman counts that as not as being one problem, but as 30. So another New Testament scholar, Craig Bloomberg, points out that based on Airman's own logic of counting a single mistake and multiplying it by the amount of times it was published, one could argue there are actually 1.6 million errors in the first printing of Airman's book since someone counted 16 typos and there were 100,000 copies published. Okay, so, so, so when someone says there's errors and you, and you start to multiply, you go, okay, so what they're referring to or could be referring to are small punctuation or slight misspellings that don't actually alter the meaning of the text. F.F. F. Bruce puts it this way. If the number of manuscripts increases the number of scribal errors, it increases the proportionately the means of correcting such errors so that the margin of doubt left in the process of recovering the exact original wording is truly remarkably small. The more copies we have, with maybe little misses here and there, when we start to stack them all up, we can actually get a pretty good assessment of what the meaning is, what the, what the core is. So said a, a different way, we have a very high probability of knowing what the Greek said in the New Testament. But in good faith here, because not all about just like slandering people to simply like slander or, or go at airmen here, he is correct in pointing that there are slight variations between copied manuscripts. And so when we hear this, what should we make of these? Are they problems that Christians should worry about when it comes to our Bible? Again, they're not typically what we imagine as long narratives or chunks of text containing stories and concepts detrimental to Christian doctrine. There, there's not, in, in our Bible, there's not, or even in the manuscripts, there's not long sections that say a certain truth about Jesus here and a completely different truth about Jesus over here. No, in fact, it's all mostly the same. So in truth, though, also our Bibles are very honest. There's only two disputed passages in our New Testament Bibles. And in fact, if you open up your Bible right now and turn to either one of them, Mark chapter 16, verse 9 through 20, or John chapter 7, verses 53 
through 8 through 11, there will be this nice little heading above it says, this passage is not found in the earliest manuscripts. So our Bibles, the way they're composed, they don't even try to hide the fact that, hey, we've got two passages within the New Testament that are not in the earliest of early manuscripts as we have found at this point. Man, that seems very honest. Seems very forthright. We're not, we're not trying to pull... When, when the Bible's composed and put together, it, you're not trying to pull the wool over someone's eyes and mislead them. I'm trying to give you an accurate statement so that as you navigate the scriptures, you can understand, hey, what's going on here? In fact, most of your Bibles, if you start to pay attention, will have little footnotes in here that say, hey, some manuscripts say this, other manuscripts say that. Again, we're not trying to trick or deceive or manipulate, but trying to give you the evidence of the manuscripts to you in a simple, compact form. And I find that pretty remarkable. Amen. Because especially in our world of deep fakes, manipulation, scare tactics, it would be very convenient to try to leave all of this messiness out and pretend like it's not real. But what's so amazing is that a book that sometimes acts a barrier, ultimately, I think, the, when, we, when we dig into it, can actually function as a bridge. Amen. To say, bring your questions. Amen. If you're skeptical or uncertain, you can look at the manuscripts. You can look at the different variations if you actually open it and begin to read it. Yes. Sometimes these claims are lobbied at the Christian Bible or parroted because you hear it on TikTok, you hear it on YouTube, you hear it in the media... And it's not, you've not actually, like, the people haven't got in and actually read the Bible. And again, that's not all cases. There are sincere people who have scholarly work and have claims. But we should evaluate those and saying, okay, when you're proposing heirs, what type of heirs are you saying? And ultimately, the concepts and heirs that they claim do not change core Christian doctrine about who God is and what he has done. Which this begins to help us deal with both the second and third claims, categories, in relation to the copying of manuscripts. And again, you hear me saying this word manuscripts. I'm going to show you a little bit more about that in a moment. But that's where the core is. Because if we can begin to understand that these truths were written down on pieces of paper and they were preserved well... There was a scholarly method to copy those. There was a diligent where if scribes would make mistakes, they would throw out the whole thing. So the, the, the variations that we have are few and far between. When we get to, to, to look at these manuscripts, it really helps us understand that in preparation for looking at our modern translations. But before we get there, just a quick question. Has anyone told a story more than once? So let me just ask, as you tell the story more than once, how many people will tell the story the exact same way two times in a row? Every time. Every time the exact same. <laughs> Bob, the, the bass was like two feet long. I know it. Yeah, it was. It was, it was you know, it's, it's like when we tell stories, what we find is d- depending on the setting, the situation, the people that we're interacting with, because we also know their story and their background, typically when we tell that story, even if we're trying to be honest and accurate as possible, 
there are small variations in how we tell the story. And ultimately, for the most part, the emphasis of the story, the reason why we're telling it, really doesn't change. But we know sometimes we may exaggerate a detail here or there. And and when we start to analyze our own selves and the way we orally tell stories or, you know, view how we interact with others amongst those stories, we start to recognize even in our own hearts that for some reason at times we have a different set of standards for something maybe written down versus how we tell it. We've, we've got a set, set of standards for how others might interact versus how we may interact. And so when you tell a story enough times, what's amazing is sometimes, like in Scripture, it gets written down. What's so amazing is this happens almost every week as well. I'm up here talking right now, saying things. Some of those things are written down on this piece of paper. I've got a fragile memory, so I do my best to write stuff down to keep me on track. But as Jobina knows, almost every week when I hand her my manuscript, because she's like, Kyle, you said that. And I'm like, yeah, I did. I said it verbally, but it's not written down. Good luck looking for it. It's like sometimes it's not word for word. And so I just sincerely know that, that even in my own moment, like infallible, and there's a standard from what is spoken and, and what is written down. And so when the Bible critic begins to analyze different sections, say the resurrection narratives, sometimes the critic is demanding a level of precision and perfection that we don't demand of other forms of ancient literature or any sort of literature for that matter. For that matter. Further, we do not have the original manuscripts. The manuscript that Paul wrote down in his letter to the Ephesians or that Mark wrote down or that Matthew wrote down, we don't have that initial copy. And most of the time, our Bibles, and if you talk to any Bible scholar, they will admit that. And it's, it's not something to be ashamed of. It's just reality. But we need to know what types of manuscripts, then, if we don't have the original document where Paul wrote down or Matthew wrote down or John wrote down, what do we have? Well, there's some different types, and I'm just going to give you four because I'm going to nerd out on this for a minute, so uh, bear with me. Um, but it might be helpful that there's the first called the unseals. These are these letters, these copies that are written in all capital letters that are kind of all jam-packed together. The second is the minuscules, which is the lowercase Greek letters that are all together, have some more punctuation and some spacing. The third is papyri, fragments written on plants. So we might be missing a section. There might be an edge moved out or is disintegrated or something like that. And then the fourth type of uh, manuscripts that we have are lectionaries, collection of texts written for public worship that cite specific letters or instances or quotes. But what's amazing is as you start to compile all of these manuscripts that are written down, when you start to give a good faith effort to say, is what we have, is what has been translated, how does it stack up against other ancient literature? I've got a nifty little chart for you to show this. If you start to look back, you know, for ancient literature, some of the most widely circulated documents, Caesar, when it was written 100, 104 BC, the earliest copy we have is 980. 
So between the earliest copy and when it was written, there's a span of a thousand years. You know how many copies we have of that? Ten. Let's, let's pick another one. Um, uh, I'll just pick one. Uh, Euripides. That's a pretty popular one. About 400 B.C., earliest copy we have of what was written down was in 1100 A.D., so about 1500 years. And we only have nine copies. Sophocles, 193 copies, 1,400 years. And when you start to do the math of, or even Homer, the Iliad, how many, I mean, some of you probably remember reading that in school. And we take it as face value. This is, this is, it's accurate, it's good, it's true. Most scholars would say so. We still have 643 copies or manuscripts, and there's 500 years of difference. New Testament. Written somewhere between 80, 50, and 100. The earliest copy we have is 180, 125. 25 years. And we have over 24,000 copies. So when someone says, hey, the Bible has errors, or has mistakes, or contradictions... That's not something where you need to run and hide from. It's not something you need to be intimidated by. To which heirs do you speak? What is your reference point? How, when, are you talking about on the manuscript level? Because as it stacks up, the New Testament is pretty. And what we have in terms of manuscripts is robust. I would say even over the top. I mean, 20 times that of the most of the copies. So this poses both a problem and a solution. As none of these variations change the emphasis, sometimes it does challenge us when we start to move into errors of its interpretation and utilization. What do we then do with the text? That we now find itself in. Let me step back for a moment. What's the purpose of the Bible? All right, I'll give you 30 seconds. Tell someone next to you if you have an idea. What's the purpose of the Bible? Some of you heard you answer. That's great. I'll ask it a different way. What does the Bible aim to accomplish? See, when we start to ask some of these follow-up questions, I think we get to better questions. See, some people think this is a history book. This Bible contains history, but it is not a history book. Some people think that this contains biology or is a biology book. This book contains biology, but it is not primarily to accomplish the synthesis of science and biology. Some people think that this book is a how-to book. 
This book does contain general wisdom for how you might live your life, but it's not primarily a how-to book. See, when you approach the Bible, what you think it should be used for will determine how you begin to interpret it. So if you think it as a history book, and that's the only lens through which you view it as, yeah, you're going to be probably, there's going to be some challenge fraught with problems. Or it's a philosophy book. This book influences philosophy, but it is not primarily philosophical. This book tells of a story and gives us a worldview about a perspective that centers around Jesus of Nazareth. Now, where might I get that? Well, actually from Jesus himself. In our passage today in Luke chapter 24, Jesus is on the road after his resurrection. And he's sitting there talking with some disciples. And they are some of the first skeptics. Some of the first doubters. They're angry. They're confused. They feel like they've been lied to. Like hope is lost. And sometimes I think when people engage with the Bible, we need to see them as... Those emotions are valid and real. And the disciples, even Scripture talks about people who had those emotions and concerns. And Jesus meets them where they are, and he's just, hey, I'll just walk with you on the road, and let's talk. Where are your questions? Where are your hurt? Where does that come from? And over time, what he eventually does is he says, he interprets the Scripture, all things concerning himself. He uses the law and the prophets, what we know as the Old Testament, to point to himself. What does the Bible, or or, or, in the the responses, did not our hearts burn within us? It's amazing when you come to the Bible and you see it giving a purpose as telling us about who God is, what he has done, the human condition and the predicament of our world, and that there's actually a remedy and solution to what ails us. And then that provides a hope of the restoration of all things. What is the purpose of the Bible? It's to tell us precisely who God is and what he has done, who we are, why there's brokenness within the world, and what in the world should we do about it? And in fact, not even what we should do, but who has done something about it. And when we can approach it, then that starts to shape all of Scripture. So when you start to view the Old Testament... It's pointing us to Jesus. The later later letters point back to Jesus. What is the purpose of what is written down? What is narrated? Even from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation. To Jesus. Who he is, what he has done, why he was revealed, why is God incarnate, why the crucifixion and the resurrection and his return is necessary for who God is and what he has done, for who we are. And what in the world we do about the predicament in which we find ourselves? So then as you approach some of these grammatical errors, these seeming contradictions and mistakes, you go, well, what's the purpose of this text? What is this story trying to convey to me? Because there's a famous children's Bible that says, all, store, all scripture whispers 
His name. And when we start to view Scripture with that lens, with that truth, we become less fearful and not quite as intimidated by it. And what's amazing is we see start to wield Scripture not as some moral code, though it will likely change your morals because it teaches you to follow Jesus. So we engage with God's Word because it helps us get to know Jesus. The Bible's purpose is to convey revelation for the truth about God, the human condition, and the brokenness of the world, and the remedy and restoration of all things. So when we look at the purpose of the Bible, it begins to redirect questions that may be posed by both the modern and postmodern mindset, which defines everything as imminent and hyper-literal. We don't view our own vocabulary with that lens. Groovy, cool, lit. (laughs) Describe an experience. That word is not accurate to describe an experience because it has deep, worn cuts, thus being groovy. Or cool because the temperature is less than something else. Or it's lit because there's some sort of fire somewhere. We use these words to convey an experience, an emotion, an an intangible reality. And so when we start to engage with Scripture, we will find that there's these metaphors, these word pictures that take something that is transcendent, that has been revealed and then conveyed through human people for us. See, the Bible was not written to us, but it was written for us. And so it starts to seem absurd when you have these conversations at times that trying to hold Scripture up to the modern Western mindset. Nowhere in the global South or in the Eastern world do they have that type of view of Scripture where it has to be hyper-literal, exact, precise, or else it doesn't hold up. It was amazing this last week. I spent some time at the week of missions camping on the coast. Um, And one of the stories that the missionaries told is that um, one of the things they do is they, they were giving out Bibles to people. And their conversations, and after this massive hurricane, people were wondering why, or after this typhoon, why were you doing what you were doing? And they were talking about Jesus, and they're like, how do we get to know more about Jesus? And they give out these Bibles. And these Bibles are like gold, because for them in the Philippines, it takes two days worth of wages to purchase one of these. So just think about that. In other parts of the world, it takes two days worth of wages to get one of these. We got a stack of them over there. I've got probably five or six myself, maybe even more at my own house. So to think, to purchase one of these, to be able to read, to engage, to get to know the creator God of the universe and what he has revealed. For some of us in our modern American kind of mindset, it may take a minimum of like $300 to purchase one of these. Would you take two days worth of wages to get one of these? And starts to beg the question, I think, in our conversations with people, is to not leave it at, hey, you think there's errors, I don't think there's errors, or I understand some of the problems, let's talk about dialogue with that on an apologetic or a surface level, but what does it take to move us from a surface level claim, yeah, there's something wrong with this, 
to actually saying, what's in it? And I think one of the challenges that as we read the Bible is that we don't simply read the Bible, is it begins to read us. It tells us what's wrong with our own heart. It challenges us to think and move. And especially as we get to know the Jesus of the Bible, what does that do to change our heart and change our world? And so while there's all kinds of issues maybe throughout the Bible that you could, we could nitpick and we could analyze, and I'm always happy to do that, the best place to start for us and with people you are engaging with is the Gospels. Because just as Israel had the Torah, had five books that they devoted their life to and around, and then the history of the Old Testament is, is really how they were living out that Torah very um, poorly. <laughs> and then the prophets were like, hey, you're living out this Torah poorly. That's the bulk of the Old Testament. We have that truth for the new. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John can act as our Torah. Who is Jesus? What has he done? The history acts, the early church, what was going on, what was happening, how were people starting to live out the reality of Jesus all among us? And then all the letters acting as the prophets to kind of correct, realign, and help shape us back to that true message. And so maybe you ask in some of these conversations, to what errors or mistakes are you referring? Is this actually in the Bible or are you quoting something that you've heard? And maybe the most important question to ask of ourselves, is the story of Jesus changing you? Is this story changing me? So while people may reject the Bible because it demands something of them personally that they don't want to do, my hope is that the people of Generations Church Read and engage with the Bible because it tells of one big, beautiful story from cover to cover and points to Jesus. And because of Jesus, we're able to not be intimidated by questions regarding this book, but able to respond and open and say, hey, at the end of the day, it points to Jesus. Would you like to get to know him? Because the story of Jesus has changed is changing, and will continue to change my life. Would you like to get to know him as Savior and Lord? And so these questions help us understand that the Bible's purpose is to convey a truth about God, the human condition, the brokenness of the world, and the remedy and restoration of all things. So may we be people who, as we read the Scripture, know that it points to Jesus. And in response, maybe our hearts will burn within us that we can't help but run and say and share of the big, beautiful, wonderful story that is found within these pages. Let's pray. God, you are good. I pray for the people in this room or online, maybe who have been hurt by weaponized scripture that doesn't point to Jesus. God, I pray for the people who have questions that go beyond 
what I've just shared? Would you help them ask those and seek truth? For those who have encountered Jesus and are fearful about having conversations about your word with others, would you give them courage and empower them with your spirit and help them be reminded of what the purpose of the scriptures is all about? For those with hardened hearts this morning, would you soften and speak to them? Would you give us here at Generations Church the capacity to love and be gentle and patient with each other on this journey? Lord, I thank you for your patience with me as I have had questions and have wrestled and sought. Thank you for the people that you've put along my way in my path. This morning, as we conclude and go from here, would you give us a courage and a willingness to build relationships with people that lead to spiritual conversations so that we can talk about things of faith, talk about the center of all, the one who rescued us from our sin and promises and gives us new life gives us new mercies every morning, being Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.